As long as you got a little waveform hopping up and down, I think we're good. I do. I, oh, yeah. and, I do. And not a waveform when you're not talking. Well, up, <laughs> that's important. <laughs> so when I'm not talking, when 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 you are all talking, there is a little green bump uh, at the top part where like it's like picking up audio, but in the like the the purple part that turns into waves, it's only really showing when I'm talking. Yeah, oh, then, then that's that means fine. it's then so I'm... quiet that okay. it's easy. We're gonna. I have so many audio. Pro- I'm a. I'm an expert. I'm what they call an expert audio. Engineer. <laughs> yeah, she'll just she'll slap a noise gate on that, and it'll be all. So I'm not an expert, and I noise already gate. know what she's noise gonna do. So. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's an audiophile. <laughs> no, actually, I'm not that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's reserved for like blues lawyer dads who try to tell you like, look, man, you've just never experienced Jethro Tull if you haven't heard it on 33 gram wax. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that flute solo. <laughs> <laughs> He's going off, boy. <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> hell yeah! Hell yeah! All right. Well, uh, I believe it. We could probably just uh, get going. Yeah, that's probably a good idea before we fall down too deep of a rabbit hole. everybody your number one jethro tall review podcast (laughs) my name is john and i'm lena no dan today no dan today and we are very fortunate to have johnny and pat of subversive history joining us johnny and pat thank you so much for being on the show of course our pleasure thank you for having us and we are also on uh is johnny is also on red game table so if people listen to that they'll also recognize johnny from that oh they play uh, emiliano uh Oh, Cuban medic <laughs> who hopefully will learn, uh, you know, Juche necromancy before the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> that is the goal. Well, we can only hope, uh, but we're an entirely listener supported show. So thank you so much if you support us on Patreon. It is the only way that we uh, keep the show going. So it means a lot. If you're not in the Discord already, hop in there. If you're a patron and you don't have stickers yet, message us on Patreon. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you think it will help him learn Juche Necromancy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You- Leave us a review on on the Subversive History Twitter page. Go on there and comment. Be like, "Oh, I I, I saw y'all on there." And uh, no, five fuck stars. that. Go 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 to uh, Twitch Twitch dot com forward slash uh, uh, Subversive History or whatever. You know, just yeah. just search Subversive History on Twitch. You, you'll find it. You'll find yeah. bird. Absolutely. Well, it's we're gonna to start. On it. <laughs> we're gonna start today with a follow up uh, on Chipotle. We uh, listeners may remember back in July of last year when the criminal enterprise of Chipotle closed the store in Augusta, Maine, because they were unionizing. Now, eight months later, Chipotle has been ordered to pay the 24 fired workers a total of two hundred and forty thousand dollars, so ten thousand dollars each, with uh, you know for closing the store, I guess. Uh, this is basically just a couple of pennies to Chipotle, who made over $2 billion in profit last year. Like, not, this isn't gross anything. This is literally profit. Not revenue. This is not revenue. This is specifically profit. Yeah. Right. yeah. Wow. And, 
that's their take home, right? You got to think of a corporation like a family that's budgeting <laughs> for a household. <laughs> I, I feel even less bad about taking just just a whole like you know those little napkin container things. I, I'm just taking like sleeves of napkins. I'm oh, putting yeah. them in my car. There's That's nothing right. wrong with that. Every time I'm in a Chipotle, I steal at least two Chipotle Tabasco hot sauces. John, I was going to say, even... my refrigerator is frequently stocked with Chipotle Tabasco that <laughs> I um, seem to seems to find its way in my bag as I leave Chipotle. Quick you know, question. We... Are, are you guys actually buying food when you're doing this? No, I'm usually in there like, where's the bathroom? Yes, same. <laughs> I'm not even buying food. I'm literally just going in there to steal napkins. Yeah, well, my Chipotle is right is really close to a Culver's, so I get the hot sauce and then I go to Culver's, <laughs> and then I put the hot sauce on the Culver's. Uh, there we go. Yeah, it's a really it's a really big move. And and speaking of big moves, uh, one of the one of the interesting things that has also come with this ruling is that Chipotle is also now required to put all of the fired workers on a preferred hired list. Post a notice of the laws that they violated and inform workers in 40 regional stores of their right to organize, which I got to imagine is going to hurt them a lot more than the actual fines, like just the psychic damage that you inflict on a franchise owner or however their system works when you're like, actually, you have to tell your employees they have a legal right to labor representation. Well, and I think that that's really highlighted by what Chipotle United workers and especially Brandy McNeese, who we have here quoted kind of spoke when she said, this is not just a victory for Chipotle United. It is a win for food service workers across the country. It sends a message to corporations that shutting down a store and blackballing workers didn't work for Chipotle and it won't work for them either, end quote. Which, I mean, I think that when we look at just the amount of money that the workers got, it's maybe not uh, as, you uh, you know, optimistic, but I think that really what they're looking at is the really... Uh, empowering nature of this ruling and trying to get other workers uh, in the union. And I mean, they also said just this pat on the first on the Saturday that uh, the company is already surveilling workers all over Maine in the wake of this agreement because they basically fear that the union is going to be growing. Yeah, that seems like the big corporate tactic right now is worker surveillance. Like uh, during a lot of the Starbucks stuff, we've heard reports of like store managers and district managers walking around with headsets on, uh, like chatting into their headsets, trying to be intimidating in the background. Yeah, well, uh, to discourage, you know, union activity, organizing or even just like normal interpersonal conversation that takes place. Is it like those, a- those like big truck stopper, like truck trucker like headsets? <laughs> because like they're not in- allowed to look at their phone. Right. It would be more of like a subtle secret agent, a very secret right. agent style headset. Yeah, I feel like they think they look like Secret Service, like talking into the sleeve, but in reality, they look like Lobo from fucking uh, Star Wars. And Star That's a deep <laughs> look, cut. For- look like they're ready to run the drive through, honestly, <laughs> and put them in the drive through because they're not doing any fucking work. Exactly. <laughs> Were there that many Chipotle's in Maine to close that many? I'm shocked. I don't know. I mean, honestly. like, I mean, there's at least 40 regional stores. So I don't know if that's like all they of are. Maine and then like the the surrounding states. But it, uh, I guess, when you think about how many Chipotle's there could be, I bet there's 40 within like uh, 40 miles of me. So maybe yeah. maybe it is a little bit more sparse out there. I could see I Maine know. doing a lot of business. Uh, I, I could see Chipotle doing a lot of business in Maine, which I don't know this for a fact, but I have to imagine they literally do not know what Mexican food is. <laughs> I, I imagine not a single person in Maine can pronounce Chipotle. Yeah. Like I, it, it is all Chipotle to them. 
Or Chipotle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this is one of the downsides of not having Dan on here because Dan is, is has uh, some roots in Maine, and so we would probably know more. But you know what? We're going to just go on the pretext that Maine doesn't know anything about Mexican food. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, some, not, that, some... not that Chipotle is really that. He has some what in Maine? <laughs> roots. Roots? Yeah. All right. Just just making sure that like we're all on the same page. I'm <laughs> sorry. I am very New Jersey biased uh, when it comes to all accents. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I was gonna say walking into the walking into the Chipotle in Maine, like you guys got a lobster roll. <laughs> you guys do a nice crab cake. <laughs> I think that though, uh, one of the things that this story highlights is that it is basically impossible to force a company to reopen a store. I like, mean, they clearly illegally closed the store in retaliation. And instead of being ordered to reopen it, they're paying a fine and having to, you know, inform workers of their rights. So I, I when we talk about some of the stores that like Starbucks closed, I think we can almost see this as a, you know, a, what might happen in those cases. Mm -hmm. But I also think that one of the funny things that happened out of the story is when Chipotle was, you know, gave their statement about this, they said that the reason that they agreed to this the settlement was not because they uh, didn't, not because they broke the law, because they're not, you know, willingly admitting that they broke the law, although they kind of are by taking the settlement. It is because the resources it would spend fighting the allegations would have, quote, far outweighed the payment. So wait a minute, they're trying to take an Alford plea? I, I don't think you can do that as a company. I don't think you can be like, uh, I don't admit wrongdoing, but I admit that a jury of my peers could reasonably find me guilty. <laughs> and so right. I submit to the ruling. I don't think that should be available to Chipotle. <laughs> I was going to yeah. add. Um, is I this don't like know. A, what was that? Uh, I was going to ask, is this like a common tactic of um, like contemporary businesses to uh, um, kind of avoid unionization i mean obviously i i know that in the 21st century you can't really bring like the pinkertons in to uh break down a uh, chipotle union but like just closing down the store for like whatever reason that they may claim um as opposed to recognizing a union is this something that like is is happening throughout the country is this common oh when it comes places? to like food or retail it is a little common uh i wouldn't say that it is something that workers should really worry about necessarily because it's not so common that it's like happening every single time but there is a you know i think out of the 300 or some uh i guess there's probably been 350 elections at starbucks there have been like i think 10 or 20 different store closings um related to being to union activity and mm -hmm. uh there's also the uh trader joe's uh, alcohol store in New York that was closed because they were about to unionize. So it does happen, but I don't know if uh, I would consider it like extremely common. Now, mm -hmm. is this would this be considered like a loophole or is there some kind of like labor law legislation that states that you can't do this? Like, obviously, I'm sure this Chipotle can just say for whatever they want on their paperwork, like uh, funds were down. This issue was happening. We had this issue. Mm -hmm. um, not enough napkins. Yeah, not enough <laughs> napkins. Someone's stealing all of our napkins and our, and our Chipotle. Well, uh, and we can't function crime, as a please. business anymore. Um, and they can legally put that on their paperwork. But is there like a legislation that would find them like criminally culpable for being like, oh, we don't want a union 
towards closing down the store. No, Criminally unfortunately, culpable? there's not really there's well, there's really no protection against that kind of thing because like uh, if if the workers fight back and they can prove that they were illegally terminated, they have recourse as long as they can get through like the very obstinate labor law system in the United States. But for instance, like when uh, Stella Doro uh, unionized and the workers like fought tooth and nail to to win their union and fight for a better contract, they just decided to up and close down the entire cookie plant that was basically like, you know, providing for that entire neighborhood. So it seems like, you know, legally, uh, capital does always have the recourse to basically be like, actually, we don't need this facility anymore. And that's, I mean, it depends what company you're dealing with. Because when you have Starbucks or Trader Joe's and they're really big and like one location isn't going to make that much of a difference to them, they might pull the trigger on it. But when you have like a local chain, like there's a restaurant here called Mr. Kozak's. There's two locations. I don't think they would shut down one of their two locations to fight a union drive, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, yeah, is that why I, mean, I haven't seen those dry ass fucking cookies and mad long? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, I, I do think that when it comes to the legality of it, I mean, this does highlight that there is labor law in regards to retaliation. Mm-hmm. And it, but it has to be specifically kind of outlined as retaliation, which mm-hmm. I think that our current NLRB is more likely to rule in favor of. And then when the NLRB says it, then a judge has to back it up. And so we're also requiring we're relying not only on the labor board, but then the judicial system on top of that. And so, I mean, whether or not it's illegal is really up to, you know, those different government instit- institutions. Yeah, can you can you get your complaint rubber stamped by a series of demons who work for the United States government? <laughs> ah, so this is like a scorched earth equivalent of like, oh, we heard you talking about unionizing. We can't fire you for unionizing, but here's three convenient write-ups for you. We saw you look at your phone. Mm-hmm. You were a little bit late this oh, day. That happens constantly. The break room for an extra two minutes. We fought. We didn't fire you for unionizing. Um, it's these three write-ups that you technically incurred that that were terminating you. No, no, no official documentation of unionization. It's like that at like a scorched earth policy. Oh, bro, that, that can even happen with a union. <laughs> yeah, that well, and that's also we're going to get to that a lot more when we talk about Starbucks later in the episode, oh, okay. because mm-hmm. like, I mean, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like Howard Schultz is denied doing anything illegal, despite the hundreds and hundreds of, of things that they've <laughs> done that are illegal. So but we're going to we're going to get to that a little bit later. And uh, first, we want to move to the California medieval Times strike, which is continuing. And then also a nice little uh, cherry on top of this one uh, where there has been an expansion in the organizing at the Buena Park location uh, for medieval times. So as of the first on Saturday, the ULP strike that the uh, actors, the you know knights and queens and stuff like that, that have been on uh, strike the out horses? there. Is, uh, horses uh, should are actually part of the solidarity of the strike. It is solidarity with the horses, which mm-hmm. is why the workers are on. Strike. So the horses already have a union. Is what you're saying? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's called a what is a group of horses called? An, an equine. It's called, a, it's called a teamster. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gang gang. But, uh, they have been on strike for 50 days now, and you know, the, mostly because the company is refusing to bargain in good faith. I mean, they brought the trademark infringement case against them and got their internet <laughs> presence taken down in retaliation for just calling themselves uh, Medieval Times Workers United. And uh, then the Tuesday, the 28th, 
about a dozen sound and lighting technicians at the same location filed a petition and announced that they file that they intend to uh, get union recognition. Uh, they're affiliating with IATSE Local 504, which includes Disneyland stagehands as mm-hmm. members. Uh, Disneyland, not the same as Disney World. I believe that's just the one that's out in California, but they're like the basically the same. Wait, wait which one's the one out in Florida? World is in Florida. Florida land is in California. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I well, always fuck that up, and I can never remember it. World yeah, is the I one that just beat Ron DeSantis in an extended yes. legal battle. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 the mouse beat, uh, you know, DeSanctimonious. Yeah, it's hard to find a winner in that situation, <laughs> but a battle definitely occurred. Anti-Semitic <laughs> mouse Satan and, 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 uh, and Beelzebub. <laughs> well, I mean, that's speaking of Satan and Beelzebub. I got to imagine uh, CEO of Medieval Times Perico Montaner is uh, pretty upset about now facing two unions within his business model. Considering, if I remember correctly, he is literally a descendant of European aristocracy. He's from like, um, uh, what's that country? Buddha Judge's family is from Malta. I think he's like Maltese. Is that even European? I mean, yes and I, no. It's in I the middle it of the Mediterranean. Like the, it's like the, the 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 Iberian Peninsula, isn't it? Like well, you know you. It's like barely European, honestly. Well, it's, like, like, it's, it's like in the Mediterranean, halfway between Italy and North Africa. And mm-hmm. um, according to YouTube, the architecture reflects that. That's about all I know about the country. <laughs> you, here, you, you want you want like a real quick history lesson? Guess sure. what year yeah. uh, the, the Iberian Peninsula was retaken by Christianity? No, nah, I don't do guessing games. You got to tell me. Uh, 1640. Close. Uh, uh, this, this might almost be a very well-known date in your mind let me let me know if like you remember a childhood rhyme 1491 i believe was the year (laughs) the iberian peninsula was retaken some pretty big things happened the very next year yeah no kidding Hmm. no kidding (laughs) (laughs) well we also have a quote here from emily schmidt a lighting tech who told the huffington post quote we had always kind of joked about unionizing A lot of technical jobs in entertainment are already unionized, but after the strike happened, it got a lot more serious, end quote, which I I think is pretty, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I like the idea of like, like workers around like, haha, it would be pretty funny if we, you know, (laughs) organized a little bit, like just like like, (laughs) around the, around the, the coffee pot. LOL JK. Yeah, just kidding. At each other. Really yeah. Would it be the <laughs> coffee pot or would it be like like a like a, a bottle of, of mead? Yeah, I was actually gonna say there's just so many very juvenile jokes that could be made about the medieval times organization. <laughs> like, um, you know, would they be jousting the company CEO? Uh would there be um, you know, uh, demands for greater portions of mead and ale? Yeah, yeah. Are they going to be tilting at the bargaining table? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I I don't know if any of you have ever worked around horses, but like I'm really hoping that they are able to unionize because horses shit a lot. That's like a lot of horse shit, which means that somebody's being paid on the fucking cheap to shovel like pounds, hundreds of pounds of shit. Yeah, Yeah. to to handle multiple horses, and they also handle birds, right? I believe there's like falconry um, is a part of it as well. I've never been. Do they yeah, add I've never birds been to it? 
<laughs> I, I I assume so, and if anything, I I believe it would actually be the actors that are um taking care of a lot of this. I maybe there is cleanup staff that is separate, but like the actors themselves have quote have cited you know the fact that they have to work with animals in dangerous situations really often, and they're definitely not paid enough for their expertise in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you but, should right. probably be given hazard pay if your job ever involves standing behind a horse. I'm just how saying. many talons? How many talons are involved in your day to day activity? <laughs> <laughs> None in mine, I gotta say. And I have a job that still damages my hands pretty bad. I'm yeah. gonna be honest yeah. with you. If if my options are being just like attacked by like, you know, a, a fucking falcon or whatever the fuck it is they have, or being kicked by a horse. By the way, male horses I think can only like kick backwards, but female horses can kick to the side, right? Yeah, I should walk for that. Fuck you up. You will not walk right again for the rest of your life. They fucking yeah, hit that like you know what I'm talking about, Pat. The MMA shit where like they hit that main muscle on like your your leg, you know, and you just never walk right again. Well, it, I I don't think that muscle makes you never walk right again, but for like a period of like five or so minutes, you can lose. You, I, I I'm sure you could damn. I'm sure a horse. I'm, I agree with you that a horse can permanently damage your leg if that's right. what you're asking me. Yes, yes I, I, feel, I feel like a horse can. Significantly... We're doing some deep analysis, folks. Do can a horse take you out? The answer might surprise you when you are taken out by a horse. This uh, medieval time situation, I noticed, and I don't think this was in the notes, but I read the articles, and this was something that was very, very interesting to me. It said that in New Jersey, the company deployed an anti-union consultant at a cost of $3,200 per day plus expenses. Mm-hmm. Is that like a legal profession that exists within the United States? You can hire an anti-union consultant? Like, it seems like there's so much law surrounding the protection of unions, the protecting of organizing, but you're telling me that you can fly in a professional anti-union consultant and that doesn't violate any of these laws? Oh, even better than not violating the law, you can write it off on your taxes. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um... It's incredibly yeah. common. We've got some uh, some classic enemies of the show, Littler Mendelssohn, as well as a bunch of other law firms that are well known for their union busting. And uh, I mean, I've literally sat at the table with Littler Mendelssohn lawyers, and those people are pieces of shit. H- have any of them ever, like, you know, Grinch style, like, grown a human soul and been like, I- actually, you know, I'm going to take everything that I've learned and being a anti-union, like, soulless lich you know and, and just been like i'm gonna fight for for, for the good guys now <laughs> i don't think so because here's the no, thing it's usually the other way around actually it's it's unfortunately yeah yeah a little bit like that because sometimes you'll have people who have a lot of experience in unions who mm-hmm. are either like business mindset or just like straight up capitalist goons uh, who then say, oh, I know all about this labor stuff. I bet I could get hired for uh, $3,200 a day <laughs> to uh, go out and ruin unions for people all and make people's paid. lives a living hell. Yeah, well, and the other thing is that the Grinch uh, did not get paid. He was a hater <laughs> for free for the love of the game. And and these union-busting lawyers, they have a job to protect, a livelihood. So it's a little right. different for them. Right. They have an alimony to pay kids that don't love them, yes. that they have no connection to. <laughs> and they got to buy the Memorial Trump gold coin that was minted this year. and is Buy gold. Buy, yeah. buy, buy. Buy, <laughs> buy these. <laughs> Uh, Trump <laughs> NFTs. Uh, yeah. I finally got an it. NFT of Trump dressed up like a like a hot big dick cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> <Muscular> <laughs> <Superman>. <laughs> well, 
to get back to the story, two of the things that the union said that they would be fighting for are better wages and more attention to safety, along with being upset that they were falsely accused of sabotaging mm-hmm. a show in support of the ongoing strike, which to what I thought was, you know, it'd be pretty cool if they did, but also they should keep denying it. But I still, I actually honestly bet that there was just like some issues with the equipment. I I genuinely don't believe that uh, if they're just like, oh, we're talking about unionizing and, you know, they're because I've been in union organizing. People generally are, you know, not quite at the point of mass class consciousness yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, people are are like, I just want to make this job better. I actually care about this job. In fact, very often what we see in union workplaces, is people do love their jobs. People do want to actually make these places better. And that is mindset. It's not always, you know, our, the communists, we got to go out there and fight because it's right to fight capitalists. Uh, it's very often that we want to make things better. And so I actually don't believe that they would have sabotaged a show. But again, it would have been cool if they did. I mean, literally just by not being the union member employees who are there to do the job they're specifically trained for. I mean, yeah, after a fashion, they did sabotage the show by not fucking being there. But like when you have a company well, where and this when is they the lighting in... engineers, John, th- we're talking about the lighting engineers oh, yeah, that yeah. were accused of this, oh. the ones that just unionized, not the people who are on strike currently. Well, but I mean, even still, like if you're a lighting engineer and you have, you know, the pe- the light board memorized, you know, all the quirks, you know, channel nine doesn't really work. It can only be used for like the house lights or whatever. Like none of that stuff is going to, cause are, are you going to write that down? <laughs> you know, that's, for actually, anybody else? that's actually exactly what I was thinking when I, when I read that, John, um, what exactly are we, what is the, the definition of sabotage here? Like, you know what I mean? Um, were they, were they actually sabotaging equipment or was it just merely the absence of their participation in the, in the show considered like sabotaging? Because, like, I don't think it makes much sense that they would have some kind of, like, a vested interest in just ruining a show for, let's say, a Grinch-style purpose of, right. you know, just hating <laughs> out of the love of the game. It seems that, like, there just so happened to maybe a show that coincided with a strike, and now the company is like, well, this is sabotage. Yeah, I yeah. think I think the company just interprets everything as, like, the union resistance and, like, worker resistance to progress, even if it is just, like, they ran the show normally and someone missed one lighting cue or something, you know? Yeah. Unless like a light is like falling from the sky on like, you know, the supervisor or something. Is it really sabotage? (laughs) Yeah. I, right. well, if, a light even, falls, if a light falls on a supervisor in the wood and no one's around to hear it, is it really sabotage? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, I guess we we won't ever know because they didn't actually do the sabotage. But uh, as for the actual strike, the uh, actors are all out on strike still and will continue to fight to try to get the company to the table. And with these the election date to be set for these lighting and sound engineers, they will probably end up joining the strike. Uh, if I know anything about uh, Perico Montaigne and his ghoulish way of running this company. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't see any way that these workers aren't going to be like incredibly mobilized, especially when they already have another group of workers within their own workplace who have shown, you know, nothing but strength and resilience in the face of all of the union busting attempts by the company. So, yeah, big ups to them. I'm sure that they're going to keep doing cool shit. Uh, and speaking of doing cool shit, let's talk about some th- something bad that happened to a bad person. <laughs> <That's> I love <laughs> 
I, it's one of my favorite things. So this is a bit of a follow-up to our Patreon interview that we did recently with Alex Paparella from Tugsa uh, at Temple University. And it, it looks like the amount of repression that we talked about Temple using against these grad workers seems to be blowing back on them a little bit. Uh-oh, if it's not the consequences of my own actions. So <laughs> Jason Wingard, who has been the president of Temple University for the past two years, has been forced to resign. The Inquirer says that this has a lot to do with the strike, but also cites lowered enrollment and a Temple cop's shooting death as other reasons. Um, and of course, you know, I'm sure you don't just have the president of your university resign for one reason at a time. But uh, it is interesting that whenever there's a labor reason for something, the uh, press is always like, actually, they resigned because he had a rock in his shoe that day and he missed lunch <laughs> and he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't given his vitamins that morning. And then uh, another really interesting thing about this story is that it quotes a property management company, uh, an absolute ghoul, Mitchell Morgan of Morgan Properties, such an inventive name, as having, <laughs> quote, led the Temple Board for more than three years in regards to the process that will happen to replace Wingard, uh, to which I, I have to say, like, look, if you have to replace the president, and this guy's bragging that he has been in charge of the process for the last three years, don't you think maybe you should have to replace that guy too? <laughs> well, and also when we talk about like universities, we often talk about how they are basically giant property management firms and how yes. they are consistently uh, gentrifying areas and making it too expensive or buying up all the housing. And uh, it, I thought that it was really interesting that this Michael Morgan guy was such a important figure in Temple that like a property management ghoul is like on this board <laughs> because so wait 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 pat you're from philly right yes i'm a current resident of philadelphia okay temple university that's like near philly right it's within philly mm -hmm. it's would you say that this guy is doing a good job of maintaining these properties well, uh, you know, I can't say I'm super familiar with like the actual like, you know, if you're talking about like the dormitories or whatever we're kind of referring to, but Temple is located um, right off of Broad Street on like the north side of the city and directly across the street. Like if you look at like Philadelphia in like the areas of like 17th and Diamond. Uh, these are really, really, these, these aren't the best areas in Philadelphia by far. Um, so, you know, it, you know, they, they, they cite that one shooting of the, the police officer that happened in February. But um, if you're familiar with Philadelphia news cycles, I mean, violence that occurs on the Temple campus is uh, unfortunately extremely routine. Um, you know, it, 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 it so is you're saying the, the cop had it coming. I'm just saying that there's definitely a, like a lot of uh, violence that occurs in that area. A lot of times Temple students are victims of uh, violence. Um, and there definitely is a situation of this uh, large university encroaching on low income area, uh, on a low income area. So I can definitely see the way in which um, it was described that this is a gentrifying um, entity in the way that, you know, obviously a lot of students are moving to that area of the city for the mm -hmm. purpose of attending Temple, and that is going to uh, consequently drive um, up the property value of the low-income areas that surround it. Um, but yeah, I hope that answered something. Yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely. It's a definitely. great insight. 
to the point of gentrification too, I mean, uh, when Lena and I were active in the Pittsburgh DIY scene for a little while, it was like a running joke that like 10% of people in the scene eventually moved to Philly to go to Temple specifically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> true, it's true. My little brother's the current, uh, current student at Temple. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also think that in regards to this story, one of the things that the Inquirer kind of conveniently talks about but doesn't center is the fact that the uh, faculty union was going to call a vote of no confidence against Wingard. Uh, and he was pretty much guaranteed to lose considering his disapproval rating was 92%. <laughs> and there, and they, they said something like, uh, that we can't really know why this is happening so suddenly. It's like, obviously, it's to get out ahead of the fact that he was just going to get kicked out. Right. That's what I was thinking, too, is that the, he had a 92% um, disapproval rating of, I think, a thousand students that were that were polled regarding it. And it just seems really convenient that this, like, all-time disapproval, I mean, I would ha- have to imagine that this, like, extremely, extremely low disapproval rating, a- and they don't mention that whatsoever in the several reasons listed for this person stepping down, um, is, is somewhat telling. No, yeah, and and even he himself, when he steps down, like, does nothing but speak in absolutely opaque opaque bureaucraties i mean in his resignation he he says quote while i am confident in my ability to pivot and lead temple through this crisis i understand and it has been made clear unfortunately that too much focus is on me rather than the challenges we seek to overcome in order for temple to overcome these safety and enrollment challenges and all of the related issues they instigate the campus community must work in collaboration and minimize divisiveness end quote i think it's fascinating that he thinks the issue is that too much attention is on him the president <laughs> yeah, of the that's, university that's, that's <laughs> what that last eight percent thought is that like you know what there's just too much attention on him and this is a systemic issue <laughs> you know what i may not ref- i may not respect temple president uh uh, uh jason whatever his name is yeah. but i respect the office yeah. <laughs> wingard wingard yeah. that's right well and I think that another thing that his co- that his comment really highlights is that he really believes that his only job is to make sure cops don't get killed and that enrollment increases. He mm-hmm. straight up did massive attacks on the students, on the graduate students. He they he cut their health care. He made it so that he I mean there was literally threats against international students that were made. Jesus Christ. Uh, like it was really there was so much fucked up things that went on during the this uh like I guess strike crush uh, initiative that was led by uh, Jason Wingard, and oh. he doesn't acknowledge that at all. Also, just for the record, he did attend the Super Bowl in the this this uh, the, the Super Bowl in February in Arizona, and then also he spent a few days in Jamaica in February. Also, all while a student strike was roiling on the campus. Uh, that was you know it must have been hard to enjoy um, all of that with all of this going on, Pat. So I really feel like we're we're really not looking at things through his perspective. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if anyone saw like, you know, I'm not really I don't really follow football too much. But if you saw some of the memes that were flying around of how expensive it was to attend uh, the Super Bowl or how uh, how much it costs to generally to attend a Super Bowl. But, um, you know, it is interesting to consider that, like, obviously, Temple is a public university, but it is interesting to think that when there's officials of the university, such as Jason Wingard, is making enough money to be able to attend such lavish events uh, in across the country, while uh, the graduate students that are working there are paid so little that they can't afford their basic necessities. 
Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if it was in this article because I didn't put it in the notes here, but I'm sure that there's a, a golden parachute for this motherfucker, too. Well, yeah. And I don't know how much Jason Wingard was making, but uh, previous Temple University president Neil D. Theobald uh, resigned. Oh, I love Theobald. Yeah, he resigned <laughs> under pressure less than a month into the 2016-17 fiscal year, and he earned $1.4 million anyway. So, yeah, they make a lot of fucking money. Pretty sweet. I, I, and wh- what kind of degree do you need to get this job? Like, isn't it just like, what, business management or something? Yeah, uh, usually they're either business, uh, business like, graduates or they're, uh, like, legal legal uh, lawyers or people who I have think a that the degree. main requirement is that you ended up in the Epstein flight logs uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah true but enough that's a uh, that's allegedly I don't even know if that's true in this case <laughs> because like I, I think like you know for listeners out there you know if you're just like aimless and you don't know what to do like get yourself eyeballs deep in debt get a business management degree or whatever the hell it takes to be to, to get this job Get it for like six months, fuck up everything because you have no Good. idea what you're doing, no. and just make like a quick, you know, hot million and just, you know, fuck off to some other shit and fuck up, you know, a bunch of other people's lives. <laughs> That's what a lot of ghouls like that do. <laughs> but uh, to move to our next story, we're going to be talking <laughs> about REI workers in Chicago because, and we haven't talked about REI workers in Chicago because just as of Friday the 31st, we saw another expansion of the union movement where 70 workers at the only Chicago location uh, set, filed for their union election. They plan to affiliate with the RWDSU along with the Cleveland and New York Soho locations. And we also can't forget to mention the Berkeley store that is affiliated with the UFCW. Uh, in a rare situation, though, the company actually responded to the union's request for voluntary rec- recognition with a resounding no, of course. Mm-mm. But usually that's left unanswered in order to drag out the process as long as possible. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, the article like briefly talked about how they, they sell outdoor gear and apparel. But I had to Google what the fuck is REI. Oh, my God. You're it's so a lucky. consumer co-op. Yeah, I've I've been dragged there so many times by my stepdad who thinks it's like Mecca for dudes who live in the city but want to pretend that they could like totally tough it in the woods for a couple no, of dude, weeks. That's, that's Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> no, Bass I, Pro Shop is the Walmart version. REI is like your target. It's a little bit more upscale. Oh, it's like the it's like more. the upscale. I'm an outdoorsman. You <laughs> I've know, never even, I, yeah, I've never even heard of one of these places. Because there's like none. I have to one of the two up. locations in New Jersey are. Uh, b- 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 Brick Township. Nah, fucking Lawrenceville, and uh, I think the other ones in like fucking what the hell was it like Hasbrook Heights or some shit? Okay, Hackensack or something. They're out there. I mean, I didn't even know you could get out there in New Jersey, the most densely populated state in the nation. But <laughs> yeah, I was about to say like I love I mean, I'm pretzels. sure that there is some nature out there, but I mean, is there really a ton of like outdoor adventuring, or is it just people buying tents and then spending thousands of dollars to travel across the country to a real forest? There's or, either uh, that or like one Guido guy who's like, I'm stealth camping on Long Island this week. That's <laughs> technically not New Jersey, motherfucker. All right, first of all, there's, <laughs> ton, there's, there's tons of fucking, not nearly as many as Michigan. There's lots of mountains, lots of woods. All right. I get it that everybody likes to think that, like, you know, oh, New Jersey's just like Atlantic City, or short towns and fucking, well, you know. One thing, you know, you did correctly point out that New Jersey is the most densely populated state in the country, but you want to know mm-hmm. another surprising statistic? Most horses per square mile. 
So you want to talk about nature in New Jersey, there's also densely populated horses. Garden State, motherfucker. Yeah, pie oh my. (laughs) Killing it out there in New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got a quote here from Emily Burkett. uh, It seems like how you pronounce her name. Uh, A sales lead. (laughs) an organizer at REI who said, quote, the employees at REI Lincoln Park are struggling to pay rent to buy groceries because the hours have been so reduced. Uh, This affected her personally when, as a full-time worker, she was scheduled for only 24 hours a week during the fall and winter months, which, to me, those seem like yeah. You know, holiday times when they would need more people. Yeah, Seems they're, they're weird. specialized in ski and all that other bullshit with the snow. So, like, you know, wouldn't that be like your hottest time of the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, but they, they don't. They obviously don't care about keeping workers at enough hours to uh, not live on ramen, which is what she said she was basically required to do. Uh, in the Chicago Tribune article where we got most of this information, it was stated that the lowest paid workers at the Chicago location make about $19 an hour, where uh, the minimum for a li- living wage, according to the MIT Living Wage Calculator, is nineteen twenty-three. So they are not even quite making that. And, and, that, uh, and that's for a single adult with no children. So God help you if you have a family to provide for or student debt or medical debt or any any kind of thing like that. Well, you yeah. said before, you after 40, taxes. You do get 40% off of a camo jacket. Um, <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. 40% so, yeah. off of your North Face fleece jacket. <laughs> But oh only only if it's not the new ones, all right? <laughs> yeah, only the old oversized, <laughs> the frame sizes that we can't sell. Yeah, REI is proud to announce we're now carrying the Patagonia condo, the first jacket you can fucking live in. <laughs> because we don't pay you enough money to afford your house. Oh, That's hey, right. what, what is the real estate like in Chicago? Oh, it's blistering. It's probably bad. atrocious. It's probably it's, as it's, bad as Philadelphia in the Philadelphia area and New York area. Like It's, it's mm. probably atrocious. It's up there with every other major city. It's not as bad as New York or San Francisco, but that's about it. Like Houston, maybe yeah. it's still worse. Yeah, that's the bar. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not well, as bad as San Francisco. So <laughs> come, come live in Chicago. Not as expensive as San Francisco. <laughs> come live in Chicago. What'll buy you a one bedroom apartment in San Francisco? Will buy you a one bedroom apartment with a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, when it comes to actually the reasons why the workers uh, have decided to join the union movement with REI, uh, another worker, Eric Stuck, spoke uh, to issues that the workers face, uh, saying, quote, it is about a lack of respect. It is about a dismissive attitude toward their employees and their employees' ideas to better the business. There's big talk of you guys are essential. You're doing the you're doing the work, and wow, you really saved us. And that was all a lot of talk and not a lot of action. End quote. Which I think we've heard from all retail workers, all grocery store workers, all people who worked throughout the pandemic. Everybody is saying, "Oh, you called me an essential worker, and then you gave me a twenty five cent raise." Yeah, or or worse, or nothing, or a pizza party, or at the job that I had when we were brought back from the pandemic, we were told. 
you guys are so lucky. We get to bring you back way earlier than a lot of companies. And that was our fucking reward. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, that's incredibly insulting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, 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 I'm sure that you might be able to advise me on the legality of this, but during uh, my time, I was work, I work in substance abuse treatment. So I was um, fortunate enough to, you know, have that, that industry, you know, persist through the worst of the pandemic. But there was a point where there was, uh, COVID did get into the building and we had to severely decrease. And I was, it was recommended to me that I start using some of my PTO. Uh, so wow. like as, uh, you know, as everything got lower and, you know, my position wasn't as needed, like, you know, they're not going to fire me, but Hey, you got a lot of PTO. You better use it this week. It was kind of what wow. I was suggested to by my supervisor. That it's, and I'm sure that they actually have enough money to actually sustain the workforce in times of hardship. They just don't want to lower the uh, the profits for the uh, shareholders or whatever. Yeah, I mean, so. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure that's entirely above board as far as American law is concerned, which is really disheartening because uh, I know one of the news stories that goes around every so often, it's supposed to be inspiring is like this company had a, had a worker who got sick with cancer and they all donated PTO days to her so she could pay for her treatment or take the time off to get her treatment or something. So I think when you, when you let a company have something like PTO days in America, they're basically allowed to just like shuffle it around like a casino or like um, a, a mobile game where they're like, buy our little in-app currency. And then like, once you do, you're just, just at the whim of that. Yeah, that is the most dystopian shit I think I've ever heard. And <laughs> uh, a brief Googling from a Fox 32 article from I think like 2020. The Illinois, Illinois, Chicago is like in Illinois, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Allegedly. Just making sure. The, the fair market rent for a two-bedroom apartment is 1186 in order to afford this level of rent and utilities without paying more than 30% of income on housing. A household must earn 3953 monthly or 47434 annually. Assuming a 40-hour work week, 52 weeks per year, this level of income translates into an hourly housing wage of $22.80 an hour. Yeah, yeah. so... That's wild. They're they're not even close to that. If they're yeah, that for a two bedroom. So I'm sure for that yeah. MIT score, they're probably like putting it at like bare bones. Like if you want to live in a studio or a one bedroom mm-hmm. as a single adult with no children, so that's probably it makes sense why the two bedroom is a couple dollars over what they were stipulating there at nineteen twenty three dollars. Oh, wait, this is from August fourth, twenty twenty two. Guess what the state's currently uh, current minimum wage is. Minimum uh, wage is going to be uh, it's going to be nine twelve. It's going to be nine seventy five. Twelve dollars an hour. Twelve dollars, yeah. I was gonna say oh, Illinois so is a little like higher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some some municipalities have been setting their own minimum wage, such as Chicago, which is at fifteen forty for employers mm-hmm. of twenty one or more employees. It's fourteen fifty for employers who have between four and twenty employees. Look at that. So they're they're doing so good out of the kindness of their heart. They're paying them so much more above the minimum wage. That's Chicago, baby. Come on down to the Windy City and work in a fucking bus room uh, washing dishes so you can afford to live in a mop sink. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. (laughs) Try to casserole pizza. Yeah. Don't get a deep dish. Get a hot dog. Respect yourself. (laughs) That's right. That's right. The article did also point that they're in the greater Chicago area. There are like four other REI locations. I don't exactly know why they pointed that out. It might be because maybe there was some indication through their interviews that the uh, union organizing is going to spread throughout Chicago a little bit faster than it spread in other locations, which is actually pretty common in Chicago. A specter of unionization haunts the REI fish tank. 
<laughs> well, right. I mean, really, this is the kind of thing that happened. We saw this with Starbucks, where like there was a really, really big nucleus of organizing energy in like the Buffalo area of New York, and then also right. in Seattle, they were just like so much more animated, so much more ready to go to like other locations and and talk to the other workers. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, I sure <laughs> hope that the folks in Chicago are are making their way out to Schaumburg or wherever else the fuck the REIs are. <laughs> Starbucks has been on the shit list of Seattle for like 30 years now. Yeah, for good fucking reason. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you imagine if that guy was from your city? When he announced he was going to run for president, every single person in America, from voters up through pundits to this current sitting president, was like, I don't think so, Howard. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, but uh, we got like probably the, the greatest series of videos I've ever witnessed in my life of uh, that guy just crazily like like a construction site saying like i need you howard run for resident howard oh yeah uh, the Con- blood going down his face connor o'malley right yes <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It. that is <laughs> top oh, that he's, is peak art to me <laughs> he, he's one of the best out there doing it on the internet <laughs> i love him, him. And, him and uh what is it Al- alan resnick or whatever tutorial mm-hmm. alan yeah for sure yeah, i don't think I, I know alan as well i'm gonna have to check those videos out um, but that's basically what we've got for the follow-ups. Now we're going to move uh, to one of our international or to our international story, where we are going to talk about a giant strike that uh, a cost of living strike in Germany. And uh, I mean, most of Europe is experiencing a lot of disruption in their labor because of the huge uh, cost of living increase, partially a product of the Ukrainian proxy war, uh, partially also just massive austerity and years of conservative leaders in Europe. But uh, last Monday, the 24th, there were there was a warning strike, which uh, is basically just the worker equivalent of we'll fucking do it again too Uh, (laughs) uh, in almost all transportation services across germany airports bus stations and train stations were shuttered in uh by workers who were in the verdi union ver period di uh and the railway and transport union which is uh, shortened to evg and that's probably just because i don't know german Oh, yeah. But um, they said that they are they struck due to the inflation being up near nine point three percent when uh, they were offered a much lower amount. But we're going to start by hitting the demands of the workers who did this strike, and there were three hundred and thirty five thousand of them. So this God is not damn. a small strike. Uh, the Verdi workers demanded a 6,000 euro increase uh, in yearly wages, and the EVG union were demanding a 7,600 euro increase, which is a 10.5 and 12% increase uh, accordingly. The workers had been offered only 5% twice over 27 months, with additional lump sums of 1,500 euros and 1,000 euros. Uh, in those those two periods of time, for one, that's longer than two years. So I don't know why they're going over 27 months. But also, as we always state on this show, lump sums are a fucking scam. You should yes. give people an actual raise in their wages because that is a consistent guarantee of a better living, not reliant on the you know benefactors of the the companies or these these uh, transportation institutions. 
Right. And that you just bringing up that point actually harkens back to the uh, initial point with Chipotle, where uh, they dole out $240,000, which like is $10,000 per employee. That's probably like 50% of a annual salary of a Chipotle worker, if not less. I'm not sure. I'm making some real rough estimations here. If we assume that they make between 20 and $30,000 a year, I assume that's what someone in Chipotle makes. So you're giving each of those workers essentially less than half of what they would make in a year working at that establishment in a one-time payment as opposed mm-hmm. to like actually having to bend to the demands of the union and probably have to incur far more costs in wages over a sustained amount of years that someone would be working with the company. So I mentioned extrapolate that to talk about, I guess, <laughs> the German public uh, public transportation sector. Not to mention the, you know, uh, taxes they'll have to pay in April for it, you know. Um, I'm, which I'm sure will happen. Uh, also, I, I'm assuming that uh, this Euro funny money is uh, it's it's kind of like U.S. money, right? It's only a little bit less expensive, right? Uh, I, I actually big. don't I know much stronger. about the Euro. I, I thought the is Euro it, was stronger than the dollar. The, the Euro is like neck was, and neck with the dollar. The now. Yeah, the Euro has been neck and neck with the dollar for like the last two years. I, I when I buy something. So a Euro is is one point one a dollar and nine cents right now. I always thought it was more okay. expensive. Yeah. All right, so that's that's pretty good, actually. I need to move to Europe. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, previously, I think it was close to like almost like a dollar eighty. I mean, there was a point where it was there was a consider considerable higher value for the euro compared to the the petrodollar. But, yeah, but then that uh, was giving the United States a lot of like relativistic income problems because all of these other currencies around the world are basically pegged to the dollar for a universal right. standard. So, of course, the only solution was not to like print more money or do domestic economic reforms. No, of course, you simply destabilize the economies that are kind of outflanking you for a little while. And then, boom, uh, dollars back on top, baby. Take that, uh, petrodollar. Take that strong Venezuela. USD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the long, strong USD. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we did also hear from from Verdi when they were talking about countering that pathetic less than uh, less than inflation raise, where they said, "quote The wage offer proposed by the employers has clearly shown that they did not understand the situation of the employees. You've worked hard to keep public infrastructure going during recent years of crisis, and as a reward, you're supposed to accept losses in real wages. That's not possible, especially since the price increases and the many employees in the lower income groups are crushing the minimum wage, and like." I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think that also, I mean, one of the things that I struggled with is I I was trying to, when putting some of these notes together, I was actually pulling like from German-only sources. So if the translation's a little rough, that might be uh, part of that there. Uh, So you're saying this sounded way more aggressive in the mother tongue. Yeah, Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) They were very very seriously telling the workers, is like, hey, you're getting fucked. Der der Mutter tongue. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, these workers have been trying to protest against this for over a year, for a really long time now, uh, demanding a raise in response to the cost of living crisis. But of course, fresh, fresh German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has been much more interested in handling the situation in Ukraine than handling the situation for workers' demands. So, I mean, um, Olaf, you know, get it together, man. Uh, you and you and Macron maybe need to sit down and learn a couple of hard lessons. And <laughs> I think the workers are going to be there to teach it to you. Do you Do you know what the saddest fucking part about Olaf uh, Scholz and and all of this is? Because I this all of this just reminded me of like, you know, the the fact that there was uh, once two Germanys, 
right? Mm-hmm. And obviously the wrong kid died. Um, and uh, we were left with the the shittier Nazi version. Um, they kind of just swallowed the 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 better one, you know, like a like a twin in utero, right? And mm-hmm. we were left with like the evil twin. Yep. And uh, he was actually part of the Young Socialist Congress early in his life. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I I absolutely buy that. There's like a bunch of different pipelines to de-radicalize people who might end up having like good opinions. Yeah. Uh, there's the famous like trot to neoconservative pipeline, but there's also like yeah. young Maoist to uh, intellectual liberal, like academic professor pipeline. And then I guess there's one that gets you to be the fucking chancellor of Germany too. That's yeah. a pretty sweet gig if you can get it. So this is just straight from Wikipedia on this guy. He supported the the Freudenberger crisis, the Marxist wing of the Juso University groups promoting overcoming the capitalist economy and articles. In it, Scholz criticized the aggressive imperialist NATO, the Federal Republic as the European stronghold of big business, and the social liberal coalition, which puts the bare maintenance of power above any form of substantive uh, dispute. Like, Which is this, West this Germany, dude, but if anybody is listening that doesn't know what the federal, uh, that, that's West Germany. Right, 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 right. Yeah, the, and so now team. he's putting the uh, the uh, the Ukrainian proxy war ahead of the actual like issues that are happening in Germany, uh, and and very likely ignoring the uh, U.S. attack on the German infrastructure as well. I know that there's been certain people in German uh, government that have kind of uh, tried to speak about the U.S. attack on the uh, Nord Stream two pipeline, but. They're uh, they're not really getting as much uh, traction on that as they need. But more on on this topic, you uh, Johnny, you were mentioning the uh, there once being two Germanys. You also shared with me a little bit of a, a an article about the wage disparities. Did you want to uh, talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it kind of looks like the the wages. Uh, one of like the 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 big uh, things that they tried to make more attractive about Western Germany, the the you know capitalist one is that like oh we have higher salaries higher wages and shit and when that whole like you know swallowing of the good twin in utero happened they never really uh fixed the disparity of wages so there actually is like you know uh, a disparity in wages between former east germany territories which you know their their current leader is is from i believe right um, or at least should be aware of, you know, considering his socialistic past, right? And uh, current, you know, uh, territories that were part of the Western capitalist Germany, right? So it's it's very funny that this is all going down in, I believe, a territory that was formerly Eastern Germany. So not only are they just like wages just depressed, right? But they're depressed even by comparison to the country as a whole. Wow. Right. Yeah, and I I saw the map that was going on in there, and there was literally, like, you can see the old border on this map that was in this article that you shared, where it is straight up, like, a divide. There is two different societies in Germany. The, you know, Western, (laughs) the, the... previously western germany and previously eastern germany and now they still have that actual like disparity in wages but while still being part of like the unified germany 
Um, Seems kind of a sus, almost like a retaliation for even being associated with communism. Right. And and I, I don't want, like, if anybody's listening, and I don't want to, I know that we're, we're on a time limit. I don't want to harken on this too long, but just a quick point on that. You know, I don't want anyone to think like, oh, well, you know, it makes sense that the East has lower wages and they're more defunct because they were socialist, aka socialism, bad. They are worse off than the West. This all makes sense to the Western hegemonic worldview that I have. Um, you know, a couple of very important things to understand about post-war Germany and the the division between West and East is that it was um, agreed by both the Soviet Union and the United States that Germany should demilitarize, denazify, and have to pay significant reparations for what it did during World War II. Uh, the Soviet side of that situation in East Germany did those things. It was heavily denazified, it was heavily demilitarized, and then also it paid reparations to the Soviet Union for the atrocities that were committed uh, in the factoryized and and many of the factories were actually broken down and transported to Russia now <clears throat> the the United States while first nominally saying we will be doing this in western germany did not um they they they, <laughs> they took many people that were high-ranking nazi officers kept them in power you can look up hans Glocke. he was literally mm -hmm. part of the person that uh that authored the anti-jewish laws that 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 premeditated the holocaust and he became the prime minister or the chancellor of germany in the 1950s um <clears throat> they were not made to pay any kind of reparations then, through a, a very generous series of social programs on the East, there was a very highly educated population coming from the East, and they were frequently preyed upon by the West by dangling larger salaries in front of them, Brain which drain. generally what necessitated the uh, the Berlin Wall. So there's a lot of factors at play here. It's not merely like capitalism good, socialism bad. That's why East Germany has lower wages currently. There's a lot of very, very sinister things that did occur during this. If you want to know more about it, check out... Um, uh, Stasi State or Socialist Paradise uh, book. Oh, yeah, very I mean, interesting. I'll tell you one one person who did pay reparations. The United States government had to pay reparations to Ford for their <laughs> plants that we bombed <laughs> in Germany that were producing <laughs> Nazi war materials. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We could, it's, go, it's, we could go on the days about this Henry Ford subject, and we have, if you want, you know, for hours. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this quite a bit. So um, it's honestly shocking. Look. That not one model of Ford had like a swastika on it at any point. Wow. I'm yeah, sure yeah. that he had to be talked down from the idea, but like you cannot tell me otherwise that like, you know, <laughs> Ford, the man himself, you know, fought. Like, Why? Why not? Why can't we put a swastika? It's my company. I'm sure. I'm sure a guy's a fucking ghoul. He's a classic. He's one of the classic ghouls. Yeah. A real uh, Walt Disney. But uh, in, in, to, to wrap up this story, we do have a, a from the EVG uh, union, the board member, Martin Burkett, uh, who spoke at a rally to uh, spoke to like the critics of the strike, uh, asking whether it was uh, whether it was reasonable for board members to earn 40 to 50 times or with bonuses, 80 to 100 times what workers earn in the services. Uh, because it is the wage disparity between the working class and the ruling capitalist class is just that of much of the Western world, very, very real and 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 visible. Well, and I, I also love this statement because it, it draws uh, an interesting comparison between what bonuses mean for the workers and what bonuses mean for the bosses, where as a worker, your bonus might be $1,000, where let's say you make thirty-five grand a year, forty-five grand a year. $1,000 is 
nice, but it doesn't really make a big difference compared to these bosses who might be making a million dollars in a year and then receive another million dollars in bonuses on top of that, basically as a paycheck. And that's something that as a boss, they can count on every single year. So it, it, it just really highlights like whenever your boss tries to tell you like, oh, like we give you bonuses because it makes you feel like included in the management structure. It's like to reward you for your hard effort. It's like, no, it's because you want to play an extended game of, of double standards and, and develop a whole new system in which you can fuck me over. And is it yeah. really a bonus if I'm getting taxed on it and most right. of the bonus is going to taxes? Yeah, bonus D's nuts. Got him. <laughs> we might have spent too uh, much time on this, but so like this is like obviously a very um, complicated thing, especially when we get into these European social democracies and they how they have this relationship between uh, you know the state and public 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 uh, services and like the way that that sometimes relates to private entities so if you have board members for evg which i assume is a it's a public it's a german public company right it's a it's the union it's the that's the that's the union oh no no, i'm sorry i'm sorry um um okay so then who is the board members that are being referred to so the board members are like the uh basically the the leadership the administration of the unions the people who are like the the top representatives oh, of when, the union. Oh when he says it's reasonable for board members to earn 40 or 50 times more. Oh oh he's referring to the board members of the com- of the these publicly com- these cuz I'm pretty sure that the mm-hmm. transportation uh sector that was struck against is mostly public sector but yeah it's yeah, state yeah, operated right. companies Sorry. which it's is like state operated but these board members aren't necessarily state employees correct no they right there it's, they're it's kind of like in the united states where you have like medicaid but the thing is like so medicaid for ohio exa- for example goes through blue cross blue shield which mm-hmm. is obviously a private company blue cross blue shield right. is not an, a nationalized american company so while there is medicaid which is like state provided insurance it's still going through a private company so there still are board members that are right. handsomely profiting off of this like uh, essentially a state contract that they have that's yeah, like that's my cool. job, dude. I my job is a responsibility of the state that has been rented out to this private institution that I work for. Yeah, that's called a public-private partnership, and it is just a jobs program for the bourgeois. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's kind of like important here because like obviously you hear about and this also kind of goes with the universities, also. And I'm sorry if we're spending too much time on this, but that's like good. um, you know. If you don't know a lot about this, when you see this thing in Germany happening, you're like, oh, I don't know. These so these are just um these are just state workers. So this all must come out of just like a big pie of state funds. And right. maybe they can say, like, oh, the budget just isn't in it to um increase that. But then you have to go a deep a step further and understand that this is a relationship with the private sector, and the private sector is making 40 to 50 times or 80 to 100 times what workers are making. So you can't sit there and pretend like there's just not enough room in the pie to pay these people more. There is a lot of pie that's being thrown around. (laughs) So much pie. (laughs) Pie is going all over the place. Well, and it's interesting because it it seems like the the German corporate bosses and the state's kind of response to this isn't really unlike a lot of other um, bosses, I would think isn't really to be like, oh, it's not really in the budget. It's not this. It's not that. They're basically just saying, like, if you disrupt our economy, we will be so furious because it's just too big of a problem for us to deal with. It's kind of similar to the the freight rail strike that was looming here in the United States where Congress and the, the president were just like, look, we could go back and forth on this, but it's way more convenient for us to just basically do the national security thing and just unilaterally shut this down. You mean saving Christmas. 
Saving Christmas. That's right. That's <laughs> funny. It's, every, it's everyone great that you knows. drew that, compa- that comparison because that's actually why uh, I went on subversive history that on one of their streams was to talk about the train strike so and and uh, everybody's favorite christmas character rudolph the red-nosed steam engine (laughs) (laughs) well uh german right rudolph german santa Santa claus you mean yeah Yeah, i believe he's (laughs) originally yeah he's from the rhine Well, uh, to wrap this up, it, the article did state that about uh, 55% of the public that was surveyed does support these industrial actions. So I don't exactly know what the current uh, support of labor in Germany is like, because here in the United States, you know, support of unions is up over 70% now. Mm-hmm. But I, I imagine that things are a little bit different over there in so-called Europe. <laughs> but yeah. uh, that angry Asian in the, blo- in the in the prosperous social democracies of France and Germany, where uh, uh, checks notes uh, there's currently uh, <laughs> fires in the street. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. But uh, we're going to move to our next story where we're going to cover back in the United States, uh, the GEO Union of the University of Michigan graduate students who have done one of the things that we uh, support very much so, and that is an illegal strike. That's absolutely right. We fucking love to see strikes when they break the law or if they violate what the union leadership said to do, because that's when you know the workers are really standing up and speaking with their own, you know, unified voice. So we saw these University of Michigan graduate student uh, instructors and staff assistants begin striking on Wednesday, seeking to raise their minimum annual salaries from $24,000 to about $38,500, a absolutely not insignificant increase. And we love to see workers demanding increases that actually make a difference. They're also asking for easier access to health care for transgender members of their union, an emergency fund for international member students, and other benefits. So uh, as we always say on the show, it's important for unions to not shy away from what would be considered political demands as well, because you know, contrary to all prevailing wisdom, those do nothing but strengthen the union. So on Thursday, in response, the university said that it had filed a lawsuit alleging breach of contract and requesting an injunction from a judge that would order strikers back to work. The Board of Regents is seeking this preliminary injunction and also technically a temporary restraining order to end the graduate employees organization strike that began on Wednesday. So, you know, not much of a surprise. The strike is technically illegal. The university's first move is to be like, call the cops, call the judge. Um, And then the GEO, they turn around and they're like, uh, yeah, they posted right on their website. They're like, we recognize the illegality of the strike and the breach of contract but say that University of Michigan is, quote, highly unlikely to fire all of its GSIs and GSSAs because of how essential grad workers are to its day-to-day operations. Nothing but respect for that, where it's just like, you want to fire all of us? Do it. (laughs) I fucking dare you. Here's an interesting question, I think, from like someone as uneducated on labor law as myself. So what kind of raised my eyebrows was the illegal nature of the strike. Now, I, I, I didn't understand that striking could be necessarily illegal. And then, see, I, I took this out of one of the articles. It says, the university argued in the legal claim filed Thursday in uh, Washtenaw County Circuit Court that the GEO has breached its contract, which explicitly prohibits striking. Um, you can 
prohibit striking in a contract? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. absolutely. No strike clauses are incredibly common to be pushed by companies, and especially during the uh, years of Amer- of union decline throughout, you know, <laughs> between the 50s and the 2010s. I mean, we're only kind of seeing a resurgence now. It was not uncommon for there to be, quote unquote, concessions. And one of those concessions that happened was no strike clauses, um, even certain cases where workers would be forced to cross picket lines. Yeah, yeah it, two of it, the, the the biggest, like worst things you can really put into a union contract as a general rule of thumb are no strike clauses and tiers into your contract. Those are like the two biggest kind of like things that will get into union contracts and will cause a lot more problems down the road than you might think at the start. I think it's really important. And I want to address your question just a little bit more, because when it comes to the illegality, what is it that is illegal? It is specifically the contract. And and honestly, all strikes were illegal before the NLRA was uh, passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, we when we consider labor law, we consider legality uh, defendable in court, defendable by the, the state. And that's why, you know, you have your union elections so that you get, so you force the company or the institution to recognize the union because before you had to get voluntary recognition either by striking or by luck, which luck never really happened. But then all of that stuff before actual labor law enshrined these rights were considered illegal and people could just be fired like all that's why they're saying uh yeah we could all be fired but they're not going to fire us because they can't they can't fire us all uh because if uh workers did have strike protections and they were fired there would be a bunch of cases against them now in this case it's much harder for them to bring anything to any sort of like judge or 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 court system because they are not protected under the law which is why it's considered illegal it just seems so interesting to me that like we have like you know many of these uh, protections uh, for unionization such as you can't fire someone for you know proposing a union uh things like that but then you can have you can legally contract an employee to say promise you won't strike and then it's like you have to make that uh that contractual agreement with just assuming that in the future that you won't get your wages reduced, that you won't get certain things taken from you. Like you, you could sign that. And then a year later, they're like, we're getting rid of PTO. There's no more PTO. And then it's, you have no grounds to strike legally, um, regardless of what happens because of that document that you signed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty basically in the wake of like all of the gains that were made by organized labor doing illegal things to get legal protections, the bosses realized that like, basically past the the passing of the NLRA, their best tactic was to reduce everything to this game of like contract sniping yeah. because they have really good lawyers and they expect that the unions probably won't in most cases. And so like, yeah, it, it really comes down to that. And then you have the added issue that like in some states, it's just straight up illegal for public workers to strike or teachers or in some cases, nurses or other specific sets of workers. They also have like the national issue with like the, the freight rail workers who are uh, who were banned by Congress from striking. So, I mean, yeah, there's about there's about a, a dozen different ways that you can get legally barred from being able to go on strike. And that's just effectively making unionizing illegal with extra steps. Like, obviously, <laughs> if you're banned from striking or striking is illegal, cops can't come there and put a gun to you and be like, go in there and make the burritos at Chipotle. Like, they can't mm-hmm. force you to do that, but you would eff- effectively be resigning uh, by striking and you would essentially be um, – uh, 
giving away whatever kind of protections that you have of like termination, uh, unlawful termination for uh, organizing, you essentially are being able to get fired by for organizing because you signed that and you're not going to be entitled to any unemployment or anything like that because you signed that document. Yeah, if it's you can kind be of found the latter. It, yeah, if not, you can not be, so much that you've that you've resigned. Uh, yeah, but if you can be found in breach of contract, they can they can punish you really disproportionately, and that's why it's really really cool that these University of Michigan students said, "Look, it's illegal, but if we do it all at the same time, like what the fuck are they going to do?" And that is absolutely the correct move yeah. because what the fuck are they going to do? They can't do anything now. We know like, it's fuck. illegal. We don't care. Yeah, that, that's also the most difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, it's difficult just to unionize in general because you need like a majority. But then to do something like this, where it's just like everybody's ass is on the line, you need to get like a majority of people. Otherwise, if it's just you and like 10 other people, you're all fucked. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. The union is, quote unquote, profoundly disappointed that the University of Michigan would take its workers to court rather than pay them a living wage, according to the union's president, Jared Eno, and couldn't agree more. We also heard from Eno saying the University of Michigan has not negotiated with us in good faith. And after more than four months of bargaining, graduate workers feel we have no choice but to go on strike. Graduate workers care deeply about our students and want to give them our best, but we cannot do that when we are worrying about paying the rent, whether we can afford groceries or afford necessary medical care. It is shameful that one of the wealthiest public universities in the world would go to court to keep things this way. Very well said. And also, I did not know as a Michigan resident that U of M was that wealthy. That's Yeah, that was a little surprising to me. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know they have a very, very good football team, but I don't follow college football, so that's about as far as my knowledge goes. Uh, we did also hear from Amir Fleischman, who's a PhD candidate and graduate student, uh, instructor who chairs GEO's contract committee, and said, we're striking because our members cannot afford basic necessities. He also said the university, despite inflation and rising rent, has only offered a 5% raise next academic year, followed by a 3.5% raise in the next and a 3% raise after. This is another thing that employers love to do, where they're like, we can give you a raise, but it'll get smaller next year, and it'll get smaller the year after that. And then you'll be lucky if you get one. Right. And that's generally because they're like, we can't predict what inflational. We have optimism of the market and we're going to lock you into this lower rate that's going to actually end up being a pay cut. Despite the fact that Michigan has been one of the states experiencing one of the higher rates of price volatility across most of its markets, except for cannabis, which has been getting cheaper at an incredible rate. But that's not going to offset your other expenses. That's like housing. Housing. You never know if housing's going to get cheaper next year, you you know? If you grow housing in your garage, uh, (laughs) it would get a little cheaper, Johnny. I will simply build a house out of weed cart boxes. (laughs) I I had to check this real quick, but... But like the minimum for like a two bedroom in Michigan, you need to make at least fifteen dollars mm-hmm. an hour. That twenty four thousand a year that they're currently making, that's only eleven fifty four an hour. And what they're asking for would be eighteen fifty one. Yes. So it would actually be wages. Oh wow, you mean you could afford to live and enjoy life a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. got a job for the first time in my life, like last year, that pays me with commission and everything. It ends up being about eighteen fifty an hour. And I gotta tell you, my life is better than it's ever been. 
it's it really yeah. is that simple like <laughs> i believe it i believe it and i mean like we can also i mean we could talk about wages all day but i think that another thing that's important to highlight is the union is seeking protections against harassment is mm-hmm. they're ex- uh they're looking for accessible funding for health care emergency funding for international students affordable co-pays better access to gender affirming care uh, gender-affirming health care, yeah. and uh, the establishment of a non-police public safety force, which Hell I yeah. think is huge. So cool. That's that's a really, really important demand. Uh, but despite this, the university insists pay remain the main issue. We've heard from the Detroit News that, quote, compensation is the most significant point of contention, according to the university. Yeah, and which- quote. It's so funny because when you read statements or you look at Twitter posts from people who are actually involved in this organizing campaign, yeah, they're talking about wages, but they are absolutely also prioritizing trans healthcare. They are prioritizing aid for international students, and they are talking about establishing a non-police safety force, which is a little corny, but getting police off the campus is like such a huge priority, I re- especially in eastern Michigan. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know anything about what goes on. Uh, there are... I mean, this is Ann Arbor, so it's a little more affluent, but still, I mean, functionally. So uh, Fleischman also did say that the union has a little over 1,300 regular dues-paying members out of the university's roughly 2,400 graduates, student instructors, and staff assistants, although he did decline to say Thursday how many were striking and said, quote, we prefer to keep it under wraps for strategic purposes. Really, really great use of operational security there. Yeah, it makes sense because when you when you're doing an illegal strike like this, you mm-hmm. really don't want to show your hand too much because that's going to give the other side a lot more opportunity to retaliate against you. Absolutely. I mean, you should really just never show your hand at all, right? Like it's a poker metaphor. Why would you ever show your hand? Yeah, but uh, I mean, like <laughs> I think that we can be, you know, optimistic that there is a huge amount of these workers who are on mm-hmm. strike from Geo because the vote last week to authorize this strike was 95% in favor. Yeah. 95% of the union said, yeah, I'm ready for an illegal strike. Hmm. That is bold as hell. You got to imagine the 5% that voted against it probably (laughs) still feel pretty pressured to go out there on strike too. There's probably like one guy who's still working right now. I mean, also, I've said this about Michigan many times, like for better or worse, we're a very like, libertarian ass state uh and that can be good sometimes when when you're like yeah fuck the university uh we don't care if it's against the law we'll definitely strike there are other times where it's not so great but we're not focusing on those today is michigan the state where they tried to do that like libertarian paradise and it was ruined by bears because the one guy to take care of the bears was like you know no only if you pay me don't know what are you talking about no i'm definitely gonna look this up though (laughs) now i want to know it's a real thing i swear to god (laughs) Like, I read a whole ass article on it that, like, they tried to set up this, like, libertarian town by, like, basically having a bunch of libertarians move into the town. And then, like, you know, nobody was doing the trash, which attracted bears. (laughs) Okay, no. Yeah, yeah, I found the story, and it takes place in New Hampshire. Ah, damn. My bad. New England has very similar vibes to certain parts of Michigan. I've been in western New York and thought, like, God damn, I could be in the Manistee Forest right now. But that is all not really (laughs) sorry, (laughs) sorry. No, it's perfectly fine. I love bear stories. Um 
So yeah, we, we heard the union say on their website that striking equals, quote, a breach of contract and the university could legally discipline or fire us. The question is whether the university would retaliate against workers and the union rather than pay us a living wage. UM is highly unlikely to fire all of its graduate student instructors and staff assistants because we are essential of the day-to-day -day operations of the university. They need us. And then the university replied in an email saying that, quote, beyond any legal considerations is an ethical one, colon. If collective bargaining is to retain its value, all parties must honor the terms of the contract they signed. We urge GEO to reconsider its breach of the agreement we reached through good faith collective bargaining. Get uh, yeah. yeah, get absolutely <laughs> fucked. And, you know, I don't know how this is related, but the university's endowment was valued at $17.3 billion as of June 30th of last year, according to their own website. Absolutely yeah. eat shit and die. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, like, they, the the companies or the institutions love to talk about good faith or whatever, but the truth is is that these institutions consistently keep the, the books closed. They have, uh, you know, ba uh, bad faith bargaining that cannot legally be, like, proven and very often requires concessions. The things that they say that they're available to, to um, give workers is always less than what the workers are demanding, even if it was within the budget, which in my opinion is bad faith bargaining in the first place. And so I don't actually want to hear fucking smack talk from some institution <laughs> that uh, doesn't actually have the ability to bargain in good faith under a capitalist system. Well, yeah. it's too bad, Lena. Our next story is about Howard Schultz. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Howard! <laughs> So this week, everybody was talking about it. We saw the long-anticipated appearance of Howard Schultz in front of the help committee, where he continually lied under oath that Starbucks had not broken the law. He did also uh, take breaks from lying under oath to try and get out of answering questions, which is always <laughs> a fun tactic. Um, the most popular clips, of course, were of Bernie outlining the rulings and filings uh, of ULPs against Starbucks because the majority of the hearing was a union-busting apologist session from ghouls like Bradley Byrne of the union-busting law firm Adams and Reese and Rachel Gresler of the Heritage Foundation. Oh, those good people at the Heritage oh, Foundation. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing I like better than a nice heritage. Mine is getting a little old, so I should probably, you know, get a new one. Uh, put it down and get a new one. My heritage is Dutch, so I would trade it for literally any other heritage. Uh, <laughs> Classic <laughs> Dutch trait. <laughs> <laughs> How many bicycles do you own? <laughs> A tulip's yeah. worth. Uh, <laughs> the day before this hearing, as reported by Josh Eidelson in Bloomberg, the NLRB did determine that Starbucks violated labor law by refusing to participate in collective bargaining sessions. This does mean that the determination has to go through a process to become an official complaint and then legally enforced by a judge. But it is a step in the right direction on what is apparently a many-step path. Uh, and on top of bargaining in bad faith, the NLRB did file a complaint against Starbucks this week that they have illegally withheld raises and tips from union workers, which is something that we have known on this show and just in general for quite a long fucking time. Uh, right. Starbucks is notorious for tip theft. Yeah, I mean, in the help committee hearing, uh, Schultz tried to play ignorant that he did not know that, uh, <laughs> kind of that like he didn't know it was illegal. He said, we could not unilaterally give benefits while conveniently ignoring that the union said that they would allow the change, therefore making the, de the decision not unilateral and instead an, an agreement. And they he still has 
not provided these benefits, or Starbucks has not provided these benefits of uh, digital tips as well as the the proper raises. There's been so many things that have been denied to union stores under the pretext of we can't unilaterally give it, even though the union has explicitly said, yes, you can, we're mm-hmm. allowing it, give us the fucking benefits. Yes. Maybe he was just following orders, Lena. <laughs> I mean... I think it's if he if he's not giving it he's following them I don't know but either way it's not an excuse. Well, uh, also, I think it's just important to pin right at the top of this discussion and any discussion uh, regarding Starbucks is that Starbucks gross profit for the twelve months ending in December thirty first twenty twenty two was twenty two point three one three billion, which was billion a, billion, which was a f- almost five and a half percent increase. Year over year, uh, Starbucks annual gross profit for 2022 was 21.9 billion, a 7.93 increase from 2021. Starbucks annual gross profit for 2021 was 20.3 billion, which was a 28.43 percent increase from 2020. So, um, Starbucks is not hurting; it has never been hurting. It has only grown in billions the amount of money that it's making every year, and it is arguing over what is effectively pennies on the dollar to give its workers a living wage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you might think, oh, well, that's a lot of money that they could be giving to workers. But uh, Howard Schultz thinks, oh, that's a lot of money we can be giving to union busters to stop our workers from actually getting the things that they deserve. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a worker we interviewed from uh, Starbucks Workers United last year, Alicia Humphrey, summarized the situation in her store in Oklahoma City with More Perfect Union where she said, quote, at my store, it did have a negative impact. We had our election finalized right as they rolled out these new benefits. So as happy as we were that people won, we were told that since we won our election, we are not getting credit card tipping or raises. Our manager met with everyone and told us that if we transferred to another store, we would make $1.50 more and get credit card tipping. And some did transfer, end quote. Which is just shows how they're trying to understaff union stores because I'm sure that they're not replacing people that they transfer out. They're mm-hmm. basically trying to shit talk the union for uh, actually fighting for something uh, with these sorts, this sort of withholding of benefits. And I know that this is going to come back to bite them in the ass. Yep. Well, and when they talk about they can't unilaterally do things, they did actually unilaterally do plenty of things, but they didn't add (laughs) anything. They just removed the benefit of COVID protections from all the union stores while simultaneously withholding additional sick days that were offered in place of those revoked benefits, clearly showing that it is only what is convenient to Starbucks that gets considered in regards to union busting. So you heard it here, folks. Starbucks is anti-vaxxer and they are COVID deniers. (laughs) <laughs> I, mean, I mean that yeah. when it comes to if if there is a capitalist entity in this country that isn't i would be surprised <laughs> i'm I, I, not exaggerating i Look, genuinely like that's for real i'm not trying to dismiss the effort and like the 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 knowledge of like the workers or anything like that right that work at starbucks but that is like some hot dog water ass tasting coffee like you could just as easily make like a pour over at home it takes like five minutes that's not the worker's fault it's not the worker's fault it's not the worker's fault but if you want to like you know besides the donating towards like you know uh uh the 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 workers that are getting fired and shit like that just like make coffee at home 
like. like <laughs> well, I mean, not everybody minutes. has an espresso machine, and some people got to have their 10 shots in a cup with you don't ice need that. over it. Just get a pour Just it's <laughs> Literally, just, just like they, they make coffee the same way in prison. You like cold brew? I love cold brew. You can make it out of a fucking mason jar, man. Mason jar <laughs> and a filter. All right? Pour over some things. Unused underwear. Some unused underwear. And right, you exactly. Whatever you're into. You heard it a here, folks. Gym sock, for God's sake. <laughs> Johnny's got the got the inroads. You can uh, find him at. Uh, <laughs> at <laughs> you can JPay me at fucking <laughs> uh, subversive history. But uh, to finish out this story, within days of the help committee hearing, Starbucks illegally fired three more union workers, which they've illegally fired so many. Uh, one of them being an original leader from the first union Starbucks store in Buffalo, seven-year veteran Lexi Rizzo. The other two workers were JJ from the 29th and Willamette store in Eugene, Oregon, and five-year veteran Lily uh, Hannigan from the Greektown store in uh, in Chicago. Uh, Lily's store won their union election the next day. Uh, and we're going to be including fundraise like support fundraisers for all of them in the episode description. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if y'all have uh, listened to the show or have uh, listened to you know anything uh, with what we do here. <laughs> but one thing that we do at the end of every single episode is to kind of lighten the mood after you know, going through all of this horrible repression and the capitalist nightmare that we live through, we do a little looking at funny pictures, describing them to the listeners and telling them what we think. So we call that... It's the, the meme, meme review. review. Bow, yeah. bow, bow, bow. <laughs> you guys excited? I'm very Yes, excited. yes. You're contractually and, uh, I, I obligated wanna, to... I just want to say now, I'm so sorry if we somehow, like, drag the length of your episodes, like, yeah. way past what they normally are. We're used to doing this for, like, four hours at a clip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no it's, it's totally cool. It's, we, uh, it's fine. Uh, I got plenty of time to content. edit tonight. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I have a lot of things to edit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, kicking off the meme review, we have a meme that starts at the top, and it just says, T from the teacher speaking, and it says, teacher, does anyone know what the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency does? And then you have uh, Fidel and Jay, and uh, uh, Fidel's got his hand up, and he says, ooh, pick me, I do. And uh, Che says, come on, Fidel. She asked what they do, not what they try very hard, but fail miserably at hundreds of times. <laughs> Yeah, what was what was the official number? I think it was like six hundred something, six hundred and I'm pretty sure that one of them included a Looney Tune style uh, exploding cigar. If I'm not yes. if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Didn't they try to poison his ice cream? And didn't they send like a, a woman to yes. kill him yes. after seducing a, a, him? A, a, a and she like guy. she yeah, thought he was so nice, she decided to not kill him. <laughs> she did more she than, slept with him. Yeah, she did more than just not kill him. Well, I mean. <laughs> It's the not killing him that matters historically, I think. But <laughs> I'm sorry, but Fidel had undeniable riz. riz. Yeah, yeah, tons of riz on that one. Hard to argue with that. <laughs> like uh, I, I would. <laughs> Fair. Hell yeah. Our uh, next meme is one of the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man memes, oh, yeah. where the first one is someone being accused of being terminally online, and then the other Spider-Man is. Uh, labeled the person terminally online enough to know that is an insult yeah yeah <laughs> i think about this when people say touch grass all the time because i'm like man you really just said touch grass yeah. i think you should probably touch some fucking grass yeah. <laughs> inside me there are two spider-mans and they are both of these spider-mans yeah. where i am both 
terminally online and also accusing myself of being terminally online. I might have <laughs> transcended this one because I, I might not spend enough. Uh, I know the term, but I don't think I use it or gripe over it as much. So I might be the, uh, the, no, the dude, you, you do too much outside of your apartment yeah. to, <laughs> to be terminally online. <laughs> <laughs> You, you wait so you have actually touched grass i've always seen people tell me to do it but i've never actually i live in philadelphia it. so there's not much grass but i sometimes touch like concrete and litter and right. Matt. yeah I, Matt. I would never touch grass dogs shit in it my burger eats <laughs> <laughs> pat touches uh the mat he's a he's a big bjj guy I don't know yeah. what those that means. It Brazilian sounds Brazilian jujitsu. Oh hell yeah! yeah. Oh okay, so dope. it's not. <laughs> I figured don't, it was. Don't be bashful, Pat. Much you should be proud of your purple belt. I'm very proud of my purple belt, actually. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> you want you want to do this next one? All right, sure. Me? No, Pat, you do it. All right. So uh, what we have here is a tweet that appears uh, to be snipped here, which states, "Cop hanging out in the parking lot asked my dog if he's a good boy." And I said, don't answer that, baby. We'll get you a lawyer. The cop doesn't think I'm funny, but his girlfriend, question mark, wife, question mark, does. And I think Woody learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love the idea of the, the cop's wife or girlfriend or whatever just being like. <laughs> <laughs> and he's getting all red faced. He's just like, let's just go into the Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like this one. Also, I I like that uh, the implication is that uh, that there there's no way to know if this person is actually in in this relationship with this person. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> well, let's hope not. Yeah, and our next meme is one that I ripped from Twitter. It's actually from yesterday's print, which is just a collection of things in old newspapers, and I don't remember what local you know Sun Herald this was in, but it was in about, one of them. about the year. Uh, I believe it was like 1907, 1908, somewhere around All right. there. So it's old as hell. And it says, uh, <laughs> it's old as it, it, it saw both wars, youngin'. And uh, it says, stealing a million, genius. Stealing 500,000, sagacity. Stealing 100,000, shrewdness. Stealing 50,000, misfortune. Stealing 25,000 is an irregularity. 10,000 is a misappropriation. Stealing $5,000, however, is speculation. Stealing $2,500 is embezzlement. Stealing $1,250 is swindling. Stealing $100 is larceny. Stealing just $10 is theft. And of course, stealing a ham, that's outright war on society. <laughs> it's like breaking a window at a Starbucks. Wait, wait, wait exactly. but what is it when the Pentagon uh, <laughs> misplaces... Uh, 61% of its assets for the fiscal year of 2021. Uh, is there any, what is that called? Uh, that's just, you know, that's just an oversight. Oh, 2.3 uh, trillion. Okay. I was looking okay. for the, the 2.3 trillion. So what, what, what is that? What category does that fall into? It's just a simple oversight. They'll get it figured out and uh, you don't have to worry about it. Well, yeah. That's uh, you know, if, if a million is genius, <laughs> if the 2.3 trillion, I think that's like galaxy, galaxy brain, brain, like, yeah. you know, you, you've become like a tool album cover. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you've become Michael Aquino, yeah. the founder of the <laughs> Temple of Set and U.S. military general. <laughs> uh, and Johnny, you get to do this last one. All right. 
Scary Facts is the top, is what it reads. And then there's uh, three cats at the bottom, all with various reactions. One of them looking like a... None of which are fucking, good, though. Let's point that out. They're, they're, none of them are positive reactions. It's just no, no. levels of fear, anger, and what appears to be like heartbroken sorrow. Yeah, yeah. The, the one kind of looks like a like a Benadryl demon and, and the other one kind of looks like <laughs> kind of looks like me just driving on the highway. And the other one is me finally getting home. But it says, unless you were born with a lot of money, you'll probably have to work to survive. And boy, howdy do you? Yeah. I can't believe nobody told me this when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember when I figured out that we were poor, I was already a teenager. I was fucked at that point. Something you know that I definitely told me when I was like six or seven. You know what I realized that I was that I was that I grew up uh, like poor, even though I you know middle class, but middle class is pretty much at the lower, like very low end of like the income bracket. Um, if your dad makes forty thousand dollars, my dad's a union carpenter in Philadelphia, makes about forty thousand dollars throughout the nineties. That was like the household income. But I realized I was poor when I went to rehab for like the third time. And while I was in rehab, I met a guy who played lacrosse for his high school. And I was like, they didn't have lacrosse at my high school. And I realized that there's a whole, <laughs> there a whole like, another tier of like the economic stratum where rich people play like lacrosse in high school. And there's these guys called lax bros that, uh, yeah, lax bros, lax bros is what they're yeah. called. It's like lax rich bro? lacrosse rich, bros. It's like rich kids who wear boating shoes and they play lacrosse. Yeah. And I was like, my, my high school didn't even have a lacrosse team. So, I mean, that's wow. like the thing is like, yeah. I, I should have spotted that shit when I was growing up because I grew up in a tourist town for people from Chicago who come here in the summer. And so like a lot of the kids who live here are like, you know, sons and daughters of like, they're like the children of pilots and uh, doctors and surgeons and business owners and shit. And I was like, man, a lot of people in my class sure go to that yacht club. Yeah. <laughs> See, What's happening at the yacht club? <laughs> I figured out that we were the broke family in town because I grew up in a fairly decent town. My parents just drove a lot, but I figured it out when like my dad was too embarrassed to answer the door to the guy at our front door to turn our power off because we couldn't afford to pay the electricity bill yeah. because he might be a coworker of his. Oh, wow. Shit, that's rough. Damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's when like, huh. <laughs> Things might I feel not like be so I, great. I feel like I saw poverty at a pretty young age when in uh, second grade, very young me said, I hate money. I want to get rid of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were doing leagues better than me. I wanted to be yeah. a super villain with like a big laser at that time. So <laughs> way more elevated class consciousness yeah. on you. And dear listeners, that has been our episode. So if yeah. you want to tell us when you realized you were poor, get in the Discord. <laughs> That's right. Well, I want to give uh, you. I I want to give you two the opportunity to let the listeners know where they can uh, check y'all out, and uh, I guess if you what your streaming times are, or I don't know how streaming works. So tell us a little bit about that. Do you want me to do it, or do you want to take it away? Um, sure. Yeah. So uh, uh, Johnny and myself are uh, a team here uh, known as Subversive History. We stream on Twitch as well as have a YouTube channel and a under-maintained uh, Facebook page. Um, <laughs> feel free to check any of those out. We stream generally on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays at 6 p.m. We typically go over books, uh, books of a political nature, of a historic nature, um, where we try to bring light to the under, um, under-discussed or otherwise vilified uh, revolutionary struggles of history. So if you're interested in that kind of discussion, please check us out. 
Yeah, you can find us at twitch.tv forward slash subversive history. No caps, no space. Uh, where you can find all of our socials linked there. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have like regular streaming days or? uh, Yeah. Uh, Fridays, Wednesdays and uh, Sundays, unless there's a Catholic holiday going on, in which case, uh, you know, I got to go see my family. Uh, It's not that I'm religious, but like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Family obligation. It's my mother, you know, like, (laughs) what am I going to do? Tell her no. Oh, Uh, sorry, Ma. I I, got to do the Twitch thing. I got to go talk (laughs) about the communism. And that happens, uh, what, 6 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock yeah, Eastern? 6 p.m. EST. Uh, we are also currently doing a donation drive uh, for a charity by the name of Books Through Bars that are located in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Books Through Bars is an all-volunteer nonprofit organization that believes in systemic, social, educational, and economic inequality leads to relentless cycles of crime and mass incarceration. Their work is to aim to reverse these devastating effects that uh, injustice and incarceration has on individuals, families, and communities. And our very own Patrick is going to be working with them in the near future. So, Hell yeah. Um, yeah. If you have a dollar to give, you know, uh, you can find it right on our page. It's going to a good cause. It is. Awesome, uh, awesome. We are well, not handling the money. It goes straight to them. Correct. Yeah, these clowns aren't even going to touch your bucks. So <laughs> yeah. go ahead and give freely. <laughs> I mean, unless you'd That's like right. to give us bucks, you know, we, we won't turn it down. Yeah, we actually <laughs> also on the There's going to be so too. many links in the show notes for you to hand out money. So <laughs> yeah, if you want to donate, you know, a little bit of money, a little bit of subscription, avoid the ads, you know, at the top of the hour, by all means, say, I'm going to hang and fight yeah. you. <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us and inviting us. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and if you'd like I'm to... Sorry we made this a two-hour ordeal. No, <laughs> no, it's okay. This happens on occasion. You're going to make Dan it. feel really good about the length he keeps episodes. So <laughs> it's all good. That's right. That's right. Well, and if you'd like to support our show as an entirely listener-supported show, you can do that at patreon.com slash workstoppage. You can jump in the Discord and hang out with all of us. You can write us a review somewhere. You can follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at WorkStoppagePod. You can listen to Beep Beep Lotus. You can listen to Red Game Table again, which you will hear Johnny on. And then, you know, check out Subversive History. Uh, And I guess, as always... Labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. Solidarity. Well, salam. Stay strong out there. Solidarity. Solidarity.